would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, please meet with us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to say a special happy birthday to Brother Felton. We love you. Thank you. Let me turn this on, and I got it on. Well, um, had an enjoyable time today, and and had some really just uh, blessed by some of the folks that were here this morning, and of course blessed by everybody that was here. But got to spend some time with some of those that visited with us, and be in prayer. The uh, little little girl that uh, is in. St. Jude's name is Sophia, Sophia, right? Sophia, and, and they said that she's a, the same age that Emma was when we started praying for her uh, there. And so uh, this is her third brain tumor uh, that they're trying to treat now. 
And so uh, just be in prayer for them. But uh, they actually were kind of really getting to know some folks again because we were very interconnected over the years with different families and different ones uh, there for both families. And, uh, you know, they, we knew really when we got to talking and we knew we recognized and kind of where we recognized, but it turned out we, we knew them uh, from, from back uh, a long time ago. And so uh, we want to be a blessing and a help to them. And, and we were today, just to let you know, the, you know, the, the church and some of us, we were able to at least send them out with enough to, they could go out to eat today and enjoy themselves today and try to take, uh, take care of things. But I pray for them, but um, just a blessing. Then we had lunch with some of the, some of the folks who have been real sweet and, and enjoyed uh, being uh, there today, some of our newer people in the church, and so we enjoyed that. And so uh, just a thrill to be here, and, and God bless this morning. So I want to uh, go to Psalm 15 tonight, and, uh, and we just read it, but I'm going to read back through it again. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. And whose eyes a vile person is contemned, and, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, and he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Uh, I'm calling this how to keep from slipping, how to keep from slipping. That's really what it comes down to when it says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. It's coming down to the fact that, you know, uh, there's a lot that uh, confronts us in life. There's a lot that we, we have to deal with in life and a lot of uh, temptations, a lot of testings, a lot of trials, a lot of attacks that come in our life. And how can we stay firm? How can we make it? Uh, and that's what we're going to be dealing with tonight and talking about tonight. I have a word of prayer and I'll get started. Father, I pray that you bless. Holy Spirit of God, I need your presence and power again tonight. Sweet Holy Spirit, I need you to guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, I've asked you to guide me to, to what I need to prepare, what I need to have uh, ready to, to preach and teach. But Lord, you know that I've always been tried to always be uh, open to you moving me to something else, but Lord, if I feel that this is what you'd have me to teach and preach on tonight. So Spirit of God, I ask you please to guide me as I yield myself to thee. And I ask you, Lord, to guide my mind, my thoughts, but I ask you also to, to touch the ears of the hearers tonight that we, we might look at our own selves and, 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 and maybe something would be said that would help us. Dear God, I yield myself to Thee in all, always, my, my top from, from the top of my head to my soul, my feet, in my mind, my thoughts, my heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. This being the time of the Olympics, and maybe that's the reason I've got another little story that I that I read that I want to give you tonight is the Olympic Games in Mexico in 1968. The marathon is the final event on the program and the Olympic Stadium is packed and there is excitement as the first athlete, an Ethiopian runner, enters the stadium. The crowd erupts as he crosses the finish line. But way back in the field is another runner. His name is John Stephen Ekwari of Tanzania. 
He has been eclipsed by the other runners, and after 30 kilometers, his head is throbbing, his muscles are aching, and he falls to the ground. He has serious leg injuries, and officials want him to retire, but he refuses. With his knee bandaged, Aquari picks himself up and hobbles the remaining 12 kilometers to the finish line. An hour after the winner has finished, Aquari enters the stadium. All but a few thousand of the crowd have gone home. Aquari moves around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until finally he collapses over the finish line. Many say it's one of the most, most heroic efforts of the Olympic history. Afterward, he was asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out. And this is what Aquari says. He said, my country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. My country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. And you know, God did not call us to start the race. He sent us to finish. To finish. Now what drove this man? His words like desire. I believe desire really put him into the race in the first place to work and to train like few people train. The way they train for uh, these people that go to the Olympics, of course, for four years, minimal, minimally they train so intensely day and night for four years. Determination was what drives them for that four years and drives them during the race. Commitment is, uh, is another thing that would, would make a man like this go and prepare for uh, this kind of a race. But I believe also by, by his statement, I believe honesty is a, is a key factor. I believe he's an honest man, for his country has supported him. His country had backed him. His country had sent him. And for him to give up, I, thought, I believe he felt was dishonest. But one of the key words, the most key word, I believe, is this word integrity. The integrity. And I want you to think about those words, desire and determination and commitment and honesty and integrity. David asked the question of God, and the answer apparently comes quickly from God in this passage of Scripture. He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He just comes out with a question. He says, Lord, who's going to be there? And you say, what does this really mean? Well, the tabernacle and the holy hill uh, are, are very, they're, they're like parallel words that they they uh, very almost synonymous in the fact that they refer to the sanctuary of Jehovah God. And he says, what is, it, what is he really saying? He's saying, who's going to be in the presence of God under the protection and power of God? Amen. And this being Sunday night, we're going to, you know, this morning we're trying to meet. We had, uh, I think you said we had 10 visitors this morning, 10 uh, new, new first-time people faces here this morning. And and, and God directs us a different way in the morning service, but 
tonight, this being primarily our just our normal, our regular, our family people, you know, as I look at it here in the end, I know virtually every, every face out here, well, I want desperately from my heart, and I know from the heart of God that he wants you to stay strong. He wants you to, to make it. I'll be honest with you. I want a year from now not to be a face missing, just there to be more faces. And so many times in a year's time or in six months' time, there are people who will drop away, who will fall. Watch, they will slip. They'll stumble, they'll slip, they'll fall. We dealt with it a little bit this morning in the way that we try to teach our daughters and, uh, and along the way that we as a family, when, when one would stumble, when one's struggling, we're going to lock arms. Why? Because if you slip, you're not going to fall very far if you've got arms locked. And we're going to do that, and we're going to, and that's what we need to do as a church family. We need to lock arms. But here we have a recipe again. I love the recipes of the Bible. I love the instructions of the Bible, where God just says, "Okay, here's the question. Here's the answer." And that's what He does tonight. And we're going to go through it just very quickly. But says, He says, "Lord, who shall abide in Thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in Thy holy hill?" The tabernacle and the holy hill referred to the to the sanctuary of Jehovah God. To be there, to be in God's presence, to be under God's protection and God's power. And David's saying, "How can I know that I can be there?" Who can be there? And he's saying to himself, I believe he's saying, God, how can I know that I'm always going to be under your protection and power? Here's the answer. Verse 2, God answers it and allows David to pen it and for us to read it uh, many, uh, many, many years later. Verse 2, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Look at it. Walketh uprightly. And, and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Now watch this. You'll never speak, speak the truth through your tongue until you speak the truth through your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And whatever's in our heart, it's going to come out our mouth eventually because it's going to fill our minds. What's in our heart fills our minds and it's going to come out our mouth eventually. And so what... What does this mean? He that walketh uprightly means to go through life, truly living your life with sincerity and integrity. There's that word again, integrity. When it says to walk, he that walketh uprightly means to go through life, truly living your life with sincerity and integrity. What's God saying? He's saying, will you please just be real about this thing of truth and righteousness? God just saying, look, I want it to be in your heart. I want it to be in your mind. He said, I want it to be you, to permeate you. And if it does, we're beginning to find out how we can be in the presence and power of God, under the protection of God. Next you look, he says, worketh righteousness. He walketh uprightly. He worketh righteousness. And that means to systematically and habitually be committed to moral, legal, right, and justice. God says, I'm just going to cover the whole gamut. He says, I want you to really be intense about being right and just. Morally right and just, legally right and just. He says, I just want you to be truthful. He wants, I want you to be, anybody get an amen somewhere? God says, I want you to be right and just about all that you do. 
Who shall dwell in the holy hill of God? Notice verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Now he's already talked about the heart. He speaketh truth in his heart. Well, if we speak truth in our heart, again, we probably won't be doing this, but God says if you want to be one of those that dwell in that place of protection, if you want to be there that dwell under uh, my power in my presence, if you want to be there, he says there's some things you need to do. One, you need to walk uprightly. Two, you need to work righteousness. You need to work with righteousness. And three, he says, don't backbite. Don't backbite with your tongue. And he expresses it because he's saying, I'm talking about verbally, be careful what comes out of your mouth. Folks, I beg you, we, look, I do so much, and, 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 and I always get worried as people are going to say, well, you think that, you know, that you hear something, you see something. You... No, this is so much of what I do. I just know that we're all human beings, and I've been a whole lot of places, and I've been in a whole lot of ministries, and I just want to, want to explain to you that somewhere, if it's not happening, you have to do preventative maintenance so it won't happen. Okay, if, if you tell me not to do it before I start doing it, if you teach me not to do it before I start doing it, watch this. I probably have a better chance of not doing it. But I hate messing up and then you having to come tell me, hey, stupid, you just messed up. And so I'm trying to get, look, if, if uh, <laughs> I had a guy one time, he said, uh, you know, I had a lawnmower and I, and I, I was putting, uh, I think, like 30 30-weight oil or whatever in, the, in there. And he said, you shouldn't use that oil in your lawnmower. And I looked at him and I said, well, that's all I've ever used. He said, how many lawnmowers have you had? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I have had more than one, that's for sure. He said, that's why. And, you know, look, if he had told me before what kind of oil to use in my lawnmower, that, that, would, have, that would have been nice. If he had told me what to do before I messed it up, that would be good. If, you know, that doesn't mean everybody's going to listen to it, but at least tell us. And so that's what I'm trying to do tonight. This is what God does. This is what his word does. He says, before you get messed up, let me tell you how to be in my presence. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Backbiteth is to slander or be a talebearer. With the tongue is how we most often spread this kind of information. He just, he just you know, some things about the Bible, it's kind of unique to me backbiteth with your tongue, and I think, how else do you backbite? But then we're in a new generation, so you can write it on the internet, amen? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Uh, next, God says, doeth evil to his neighbor. This is the physical attack. You see, first he deals with verbal, and then it's a physical attack, causing trouble. And that means necessarily physically, physically attacking an individual, but causing trouble for someone else, that physical trouble. And, and it, 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 notice that it says here twice, he says, to his neighbor. Look at it now. It says, to his neighbor. Watch this. Here's the problem. So often our words and our actions hurt the people that we love, that we're close to. It doesn't say to the stranger. It says to his neighbor. We got to be careful about how we talk to each other, how we treat each other. Uh, nor take it up reproach against his neighbor, bringing some what uh, we bringing shame to someone, uh, bringing disgrace to someone by what we say or do against them. Uh, we cause them harm by by uh, watch this. Just 
we, we tear them down, basically. And I want to give you a few statements. These are some statements, things like this, that I heard a long, long time ago that really helped me. This kind of statement. Making someone else smaller will never make you bigger. Get, let, let, let that sink into your, to, to our brains here. Uh, these kind of things help me so much. You know, tearing somebody else down doesn't build you up. Making someone else weaker will never make you stronger. Making someone else incompetent or showing they're trying to prove that they're incompetent will never make you more competent. Tearing down someone else's effort or talent will not make yours greater. And look, look, folks, don't look at me like you don't understand what I'm saying. We have such a tendency to do this as humans. We do these kind of things. And you say, why do we do that? It's our insecurities. Why do we do that? Because we, we want to be better. And we, uh, why do we do that? Forgive me, but it's our jealousies and our envies and all these things. It just, you know, man, I mean, what's your first feeling when you hear somebody that you're kind of contemporary with and they got something, they got promoted, they got acknowledged, they got recognized? What's your first feeling? Oh, wow, I'm... Sure happy for them. Come on, Come on. Are you really? Oh, yeah. They don't deserve it, but I'm really happy for them. Now, we need to check our heart. Come on. You say, how do you know this happens? Because <laughs> I'm like you. Amen? Uh, that's hard. I can remember the first time it just really, well, I really remember it just punching me in the gut get me was uh, I had been asked to preach youth conference in uh, 1991, 92, 93. And, uh, you know, that's a great privilege. In the first year, I was just absolutely blown out of the water that I was asked. The next year, I kind of suspected I might be asked. You know, and you're thousands of people. Youth conference up there is just thousands of people. So being a young preacher, I'd only been on college staff about five years at the time, and they picked me out of all this slew of people to, to preach. And uh, matter of fact, the first time I preached in youth conference, Brother Howells had never heard me preach. He never, yeah, matter of fact, he got through and he said, I didn't realize Bob Hooker could preach. I'm thinking, now why did you ask me? You know, but they asked me. So 91, 92, 93, they asked me. I'm out traveling in 94 with the tour group and, and youth conferences come, and I started to realize I haven't, been, I haven't been called. But a guy that I'd help get a job, and a guy that I'd help promote, and a guy that I'd help push, and a guy that I helped it, they called him, stinky Chris Tepp. <laughs> they asked Chris Tepp to preach. And I, and I thought, Chris is my buddy. He works with me in the sailor ministry. He's my worker, and you're asking him? And you say, were you happy for Chris? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoopee. And I had to, man, I had to deal with that. It's just like, wow. That, I mean, I should be happy for him. I shouldn't be jealous. I shouldn't envy. I shouldn't feel this way. But, hey, I do. You know anybody? Am I only one that's going to be honest tonight? And making someone else smaller would never make you bigger. Tearing them down, justifying, giving some reason why they got it and you didn't, you know, well, you know, because of who they know, because of this, because of that. Because, yeah, that doesn't help the situation at all. 
And this is so important to God, to God that he follows with this. He says in verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. Now notice God says, I don't want you doing these things. I don't want you backbiting. I don't want you attacking others. I don't want you to do evil to anybody. And, and, and or, or I don't want you to, to take up a reproach against the name. I don't want you slandering them. I don't want you talking about them. I don't want you attacking them or trying to tear them down. And he says, now this is so important to me. He said, I don't want you even to look at people who do with any kind of uh, awe or respect or trust. When we see those who do these things, God says, basically, I want you to turn away from them. Because watch this, if we don't turn away from them, we will become like them. You know how to stop from spreading gossip? Anybody know how to stop from spreading gossip? Go ahead. You're going to answer it? Turn, turn around and walk off. Okay? I think what you're saying is the right answer. Is The answer is, is this. The only way you can be sure you'll never spread it is if you don't listen to it in the first place. Don't listen to it in the first place. It's just when, it, when you start to realize this is something attack, this is some criticism, this is some, okay, guess what? I, I think my wife is the master at this. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm so good to you. I praise you so much. Did you know that? Why don't you tell me how much you love me? Yeah. <laughs> she don't mean it. But, uh, but the fact is, we worked with all those ladies for all those years. Uh, we, she worked with all those ladies for all those years. Say the ministry we had sometimes as many as twenty-five uh, married couples that work in our ministry, and so the wives would all come there, and you, you, you get twenty or twenty-five women together over there every Saturday, cooking and cleaning and washing toilets and all that. Uh, I don't know if you realize that, but you get that many women together, Miss Johnny May, and somebody could have an attitude. Somebody could have a negative spirit. Somebody could have a complaint. Matter of fact, we would, they, this has always amazed me. We would, they would ask me, they would say, how many do you think are coming? And I would check my, my records from the past year and how many days it's been since uh, that they got paid because the longer it's been since they got paid, the more guys are going to come down because they want the free food because they're broke now. And, uh, and so I would tell them, I'd say, well, we're going to have, you know, 50 sailors. And in, in about... Um, 2, 2.15, I would call Joe Beth, and I would say, uh, we're leaving the base. How many sailors you got? And I'd say, 75. Got 75 sailors. And she would say, "Woo, yeah, that's so good. And then the next thing I'd find out about is that she had to, to squelch a war there because ladies are all upset because how are we going to feed all those many now? We prepared for 50. Why didn't he tell us it would be 75? Well, because I didn't know. And they would just get all upset. And Joe Beth would have to say, hey, ladies, let's all come here. Now watch this. Isn't it a good thing that we have more young boys that might get saved? What an amazing thing. But we get upset because we had a lot of sailors when the whole reason we went there was to get them. But they would, and boy, she, would, she learned this incredible art of changing the conversation. Now, now let, me, let me help you. You don't really have to always turn around and walk away. What we do need to do, though, so that we don't hurt people 
that are struggling is we learn the art of changing the conversation. That means, you know, they, they start into something, and all you have to do is just say, you know what, I saw such and such, and, and, and you have, oh, you have the nicest dog. <laughs> Look, if I'm really stretching, you really, you really have a cat. I can't say nice because all, only good cat is a what? Dead cat. Thank, is, no, only good cat is target practice. All right, now. Some things I shouldn't say. Take that off the tape. All right. Now, but we have to be careful. When we see those who are doing these things, we turn away from them. Because if we don't turn away from them, we will become like them. We will become them. And so we need to make sure and turn away from them. Now, that, it brings us to the positive. Now, Jesus, God, has a positive in his word. Watch this, it says, but he honoreth them, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. So God says, you know, be careful of these things, turn away from these things, get away from these things, stop doing these things. But then he also says, watch this, who's going to be in, the, in my holy temple? Who's going to be under my power and protection? That person who honors, uh, uh, that person who fears the Lord. Now, what, when it says, but he that honoreth, he honoreth them that fear the Lord, it's that he put weight on those that have godly fear of God. Those who put stock in what, those who put stock in the fear of the Lord. Basically, it's important that they fear the Lord. And God's saying, okay, look, I've told you some things to stop doing. He said, but now let me help you. He said, fear me. And that's, of course, we know that's a reverence of God. But in that reverence of God, there is a fear of God. He's a, he's a mighty God. He that sweareth to, I love this one, and we, you know, we're going to move along with it. But he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Boy, I love this statement. This is a statement of integrity. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. The man, God's saying, you want to dwell with me? You want to dwell in my power and protection? He said, be a man where your word is your bond. Folks, this is something we all have to, again, we all have to work on. Uh, something we, is so very, very important. Uh, that, but we make what we say we're going to do, we need to do it. You say, well, I didn't realize it was going to cost us that uh, one, one day, and I, I may have even told you about this, but it will be one of the hundred times that I tell you this. But, but the, uh, uh, we had a big, big day, and I promoted this, and I mentioned this morning that we were going to have, I told the sailors, hey, all you can eat. You come down, all you can eat. We ended up that weekend, that weekend I think, with 104 sailors. I never dreamed how much food 104 sailors could eat. I never thought about it. It was a stupid comment to make. But Joe Beth and I went over there. That night was probably the only night in about 20 years that I didn't play football because I always play. I mean, every night I would play two or three or four games, whatever we played. One night we finished playing and had chapel at 2 o'clock in the morning because it was a really pretty night for playing football. And we were out there. So we're cooking, and we're just, I told them all you can eat. So they're over there at every moment. They're playing a game, and they're running out to the field with a hamburger. <laughs> you know, it was just crazy. and it just So we're running out of food. You have to understand, I'm making about $12,000 a year, 
But I got this thing called a credit card. I had to send a boy with that credit card and buy $300 worth of hamburgers and hot dogs so that I could make it through the night. Do you know why I had to do that? Ministry didn't pay for it. I did. And I told them. Guys came to me, Brother Hooker, let's raise the money. I said, no, the ministry didn't make this commitment. Stupid me did. So I got to pay for it. But it was absolute. I even had guys tell me, hey, they've eaten plenty. Uh, We'll just call it all you can eat. And I said, no, they can't go back to the base and look at me and say, he lied to me. You swear to your own hurt. Your word has to be your bond. And we cooked hamburgers and hot dogs all night that I charged $300 that I charged. And you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. If it's not to you, come talk to me because uh, your offering should go up a little bit. But... uh, (laughs) But the fact is, it was really, it was hard. It was hard to pay. When you make $12,000 a year, it's hard to pay back $300. Especially when it's like 16% interest or something. You know, I mean, it's crazy. But I had to do it. Why did you have to do it? Because I made the commitment. It hurt me. But I had to do it. And it's so absolutely vital that we keep our word. And, And this is so important. This is a man who his word is his bond. He keeps his word regardless of whether it helps or hurts him. He will abide by the decision is made. This, you know, if you're in, in some kind of business, this, this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. He's the man that gives you a bid, and that's what he charges, even if it means he loses money on the deal. Have you ever known a man like that? I've known, I've known some fellas like that. I've known, I hadn't had a whole lot of opportunity to have these kind of dealings, but I've known some fellas that just said, look, this is what I agreed to. This is what I'm, this is what we're going to do. Can I tell you, I'm not going to go, well, one, number one, I've got a commitment in those kind of situations that I'm going to pay them more. Okay, because when I know that they are being honest and and to the point of hurting themselves, I'm going to pay them more because it's right. I think it's right to do that. But I'm also going to use them again, and I'm also going to recommend them to everybody that I can think of because I'd rather have somebody honest than talented. But God says this is the type of thing that will bring you under his power and protection. And I didn't say that. God's word said it. God's word. David said, who's going to dwell here with you, God? Who's going to be under your power and your protection? Who's going to be in your presence? And here's what God says. The kind of person that will, that will swear to his own hurt. That kind of integrity. You say, do you understand why God does it? I, don't, I really don't know. But I'm just telling you this is what God says. Verse 5, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. These, this is kind of a parallel little, little passage, comparison, uh, uh, little phrases. These are parallel in that, that they mean that you should not benefit off of someone else's hardship. 
To bribe, this even goes to the point of to bribe someone who you know is innocent, but yet unable to prove innocence is evil. And God likens it to making money off of others who are innocently struggling, and we use their struggle to profit ourselves. And the Jews at this time, you know, the, of course, this was, this was a command. You, know, you don't put them to usury. You don't, they're, they're struggling. They're in trouble. You don't go and make money off of their, their prop. Okay, today what we're looking at, it's the, anybody ever get a credit card ad in the, in the mail? Come on, folks, help me now. Anybody here, I get like 27 of them every week. Okay, they come in the mail. They're the, one, they're the one organization that will find you when you move, even if you don't change address. And you know what they do? Oh, we'll give you this. You can have $10,000 credit. You can have $25,000 credit. Adam called me yesterday and said, you've been approved for a $250,000 business loan. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Hook publications. You got to be kidding me. What would I do with $250,000? I tell you, go ahead and send it to me. You're going to have trouble ever finding me again. No, look, they send it to you. And you know what they're doing? They want people who are struggling and broke to go put their next bill on credit. Why? So they can charge them 16, 18% interest. Why? Because they will never get it paid off. Did you know that that's what hell is? It is. Did you know that you don't die in hell? You live forever in hell. And forever and ever and ever you pay off your sin in hell. Do you understand that hell is nothing more than a credit card at 20% interest where you're paying minimal payment every day for the rest of your eternity? And guess what? You can pay the minimum payment on a 20% interest credit card for eternity and you'll still never have it paid off. That's really what hell is. We're paying the minimum payment. God says the best you can do is minimum payment on this forever. God says the one who, who has integrity, who goes about life trying to live legally and justly and treats others fairly and does not attack others verbally, financially, or physically, but he honors the Lord by keeping his word and does not try to benefit off the struggles and weaknesses of others. God said basically that's all it takes to dwell with me. Now, of course, we understand we're, you got to be saved first. But the saved, he's talking to the saved people. He's talking here in Psalm 15 to God's people. And he's saying, my people, if you really want to dwell in my presence, under my protection, he said, you need to start treating each other better. You need to talk differently about each other. You need to not try to make a dollar off of your neighbor. You need to not tear down your neighbor. You need to encourage them and build them up. It's, it's an incredible simplistic formula. But then he says, this is what he says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. And that means they shall never shake, 
slide, or slip. That's not shake, rattle, and roll. Shake, slide, or slip. They'll stay on course. Staying on the path of God is a very basic thing if we live by these principles that he just gave us in his word. Now it comes to us, though, we've got to look at it and say, does this apply to me? Does this, do I have a weakness in this area? You know, there's nothing more terrible than to, to say something and then lay down at night and realize as you lay there, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. To lay there and realize I didn't make myself better by hurting them. I didn't make myself stronger by making them weaker. You say, well, I, I can't think of anything I've ever done like that. Well, that's possible, I guess. But I think that more of the issue is maybe we're thinking we hadn't done it today. And that's a good thing if we hadn't. But I, I want so badly every night I, as I walk, one of the key things I walk and pray is I say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want to know you. Because I know in under the presence of God, I've got his power and his protection. And I need him. And you know what he does each time when I pray that? Almost inevitably, he'll bring up something and say, well, you can. And he wants it more than I want it. But he always brings back up to me some place that I have struggled or failed or maybe hurt. And I have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Give me strength and not do it again. Help me not hurt anybody else. You know, one of the great sorrows I have in my life is, is being 61 and going back and realizing the people I've hurt. That's why I preach things like I preached this morning, because I just don't want to hurt anybody anymore. I don't want my stupid words to hurt anybody anymore. But along with that, you say, well, why is that so important? One, because I'm tired. I don't want people hurt. But two, because I know every time I violate anything that he said, there seems to be a distance between me and him. He doesn't hear me like he's been hearing. And I feel like for a while the prayers are bouncing off the wall and until he tells me what I failed at and I have to spend time and I confess it. Now praise God if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
But again, I say to you, and I, I challenge you to reread this passage and go over it again and again. Because David asked the question, who shall dwell in the tabernacle of the Most High? And immediately he answers the next four verses. So we don't really have a justification for why we're not walking close to God. Because he said, here's your remedy. Here's your recipe. Here's a solution. He makes it real clear. I've probably muddied the waters with it tonight, but God makes it real clear, real simple. And it always amazes me how direct he is and how simple he is. Just boom, boom, boom. Okay, don't do these and do these. And here we are. We're close. No problem. Because God's a God of integrity, a God of honesty, a God of commitment, a God of desire. And if we will have the desire that a man had running a race, desire, determination, commitment, honesty, and integrity, he did it because his country expected him to finish. I've got to have that same desire, determination, commitment, and honesty, and integrity to my God because he expects me to finish. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus.